Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit hempmeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. And now, broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the cannabis reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Snowden Bishop and excited about today's show because we are continuing with our series on hemp. So if you've tuned in lately, you've heard me say time and again that hemp is one of my all-time favorite subjects. That's mainly because there are so many aspects to talk about. So far, we focused on ways in which legalizing hemp could solve so many economic, environmental, and social problems facing the U.S., We've also talked about the absurdity of hemp prohibition and how the anti-prohibition movement began. Maybe you'll recall the interview with David Bronner who told us his colorful story about being arrested for planting seeds on the front lawn of the DEA museum back in the early 90s. We've also heard from numerous doctors about medical breakthroughs and the many recent applications of hemp CBD. But more recently, we spoke about the innovative hemp sports car and spoke with attorney Bob Hoban about winning a lawsuit against the DEA, which made hemp products legal to import and sell anywhere in the U.S. Just last week, we also spoke with Micah Nelson about how current policy bars domestic farmers from enjoying lucrative returns from the billion-dollar hemp industry. He also talked about his efforts to bring back Hemp for Victory, a campaign that was originally done in the 1940s, and he is an advocate for the American Hemp Association. But for the first time today, we're going to talk about the recent congressional efforts to legalize hemp. Before I get to that, I think it's important to put these efforts into historical context and briefly explain why hemp is still illegal to grow in the U.S., the most disturbing aspect of cannabis prohibition at the federal level is the statute under the Controlled Substances Act had completely omitted any distinction between hemp and marijuana. Why remains a mystery. Some hemp historians attribute the prohibition to a racial bias or fear of immigration and cultural inequities that were prevalent during the era. Others blame an equally sinister conspiracy to eliminate competition for fossil fuels, including lumber, petrochemicals, uh, which eventually replaced hemp as raw materials for making plastics, rope, composite, textiles, and paper, just to name a few. Regardless of which theory makes more sense, the origins of the widespread confusion about hemp 
probably be traced back to the well-executed but factually misleading reefer madness campaign, which demonized cannabis as the devil's weed that caused immigrant farm workers to commit atrocities against white women. To any farmer who is knowledgeable about the distinction between the two varieties of cannabis, the propaganda campaign might have appeared ridiculous. However, the campaign did distract the public long enough to allow discreet lawmakers to avoid any would-be public protest of the impending legislation. Passage of the Tax Act of 1937 banned use of all species of cannabis and subjected the industrial hemp farmers to expensive taxes. Furthermore, and most ironically, applying for the tax stamp itself was self-incriminating. In other words, farmers would unwittingly waive their Fifth Amendment rights to pay tax on a crop that had been grown in violation of federal law. Hemp prohibition was devastating to the American farmers, who had until then enjoyed the returns from the resilient cash crop. Farmers in Kentucky were impacted the most, and they have the most to gain if and when hemp prohibition ends. That brings us to today's topic, and I am excited to introduce our guests. But first, Dr. Brian Donner has our Medical Marijuana Minute. What do you have for us today, Dr. Donner? Thank you, Snowden. I feel encouraged by recent congressional efforts to introduce legislation making hemp and medical marijuana more accessible to patients who need it. Coming from a medical perspective, it is my opinion that cannabis never belonged in Schedule 1 alongside dangerous drugs that have no medical use and a high potential for abuse. This is particularly true of hemp, which has zero psychoactive effect and contains only trace amounts of THC. As I mentioned last week, the distinction between hemp and marijuana was not well known by the time Congress passed the Controlled Substances Act in 1970. Since all forms of cannabis had been banned since the Marijuana Tax Stamp Act of 1937, the medical benefits of hemp had also been long forgotten by the medical community. So it's understandable that no one objected at that time. But, why hemp was ever scheduled in the first place remains a mystery, especially when you consider that it was a lucrative cash crop used for industry and medicine. According to an editorial in a 1937 issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association, the AMA wasn't informed until two days before Congress would vote on the measure. Despite strong objection, it passed. Doctors were stunned to learn that cannabis, which had been used as medicine for centuries, would now be banned. The benefits of hemp and medical marijuana are becoming more widely known with the advent of state regulation in recent years. We now have a growing body of evidence that cannabis is a safe and effective medicine. It also has lower potential for abuse than some of the most frequently prescribed legal drugs. More importantly, we also now know that molecules found in the cannabis plant can be intrinsically important for maintaining human health and homeostasis. With that in mind, it seems that legislation to legalize hemp and medical cannabis is long overdue. Fortunately, CBD extracted from the hemp stock is legal to import and sell anywhere in the U.S. thanks to a Ninth Circuit appellate court ruling that supersedes DEA policy. While high-quality hemp CBD extracts can potentially be enormously beneficial for treating certain conditions and disease processes, it's not enough for patients whose condition require medicine that can only be derived from prohibited cannabis varieties. State regulation is a great step in the right direction, but it's not enough to protect patients from federal prosecution or prevent doctors from potentially losing their DEA license for prescribing cannabis to their patients who need it. 
It is my hope that with more awareness, Congress will realize the importance of passing sensible legislation to remove all forms of cannabis from Schedule One listing so that doctors and patients can take advantage of the potential healing benefits without threat of repercussion or prosecution. I'm Dr. Brian Donner for the Cannabis Reporter. I'll be back again next week with another Medical Marijuana Minute. Back to you, Snowden. Thank you so much, Dr. Donner. We look forward to hearing from you again next week with another edition of the Medical Marijuana Minute. It's time to get started. I am very excited to introduce our guests. First, I'd like to introduce Brian Furnish. He's the director of global production at a company called Ananda Hemp. There, he's responsible for the oversight and alignment of U.S. farmers to ensure sustainability and security of production. As an eighth-generation tobacco farmer from Kentucky, Brian has been an instrumental player in establishing the legislation of industrial hemp in the U.S. Brian has a deep experience in Washington, D.C., working with a range of congressional staff members. He's the former chairman of the Kentucky Hemp Industry Association and has held a range of directorships across agricultural organizations. Thank you so much for being here, Brian. I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you for having us. I'm glad to be here. And next, I'm so honored to introduce Congressman James Comer. He was elected to Congress in 2016 to represent the first district of the state of Kentucky, which has 35 counties. Congressman Comer is exceedingly qualified to represent Kentucky farmers and advocate for hemp in his state of Kentucky. Last month, he introduced H.R. 3530, a new version of the Industrial Hemp Farming Act, along with 15 co-sponsors and bipartisan support. He entered the business world in 1993 when he purchased his first farm. Today, the Comer Family Farm is one of the largest farming operations in south-central Kentucky. After his first election in the year 2000, Congressman Comer served for six terms as a member of the Kentucky State House. In 2011, he was elected to serve as Kentucky's Commissioner of Agriculture. His work to root out wasteful spending and fraud, return taxpayer dollars to the Treasury, and grow Kentucky's agricultural economy received bipartisan acclaim. Well-deserved acclaim, I might add. He promoted rural economic development by spearheading the successful effort to legalize industrial hemp in Kentucky. And today, he's a fierce advocate for rebuilding our nation's infrastructure, balancing the federal budget, and implementing business-friendly policies, including regulatory reform. With that, (laughs) I'm so glad that you could be here. And I'm excited to start talking about the new piece of legislation that you've recently introduced. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So I'd like to start by mentioning that this is not the first rodeo for a hemp bill in Congress. And uh, it seems as though there have been a number of congressional representatives from both sides of the aisle who have tried in the past to enact some legislation to legalize hemp. So I'm curious to know, um, with with this particular bill, do you see a greater chance of its passage? Absolutely. Uh, The hemp legislation goes back to when Ron Paul was in the Congress. He was the first uh, person that I can find that filed legislation to essentially legalize industrial hemp and what his legislation did his original bill just simply uh, amended the controlled substances act and uh, took hemp out 
uh, being defined as a controlled substance uh, and put it in as just a regular agricultural crop. My bill does the same thing plus a lot more. And what's different this year in years past is that a lot of states have legalized industrial hemp. Uh, like Kentucky was, was the first. Uh, you, you have countless states now that have either passed uh, legislation to set up a regulatory framework or have bills going through the General Assembly currently to legalize industrial hemp. So the Congress is a lot more educated about industrial hemp now, whereas when Ron Paul filed the bill and then Thomas Massey, my good friend from northern Kentucky, filed bills, uh, there were still a lot of uh, congressmen that, that couldn't differentiate between industrial hemp and marijuana. Now the majority of uh, Congress knows the difference and they understand that hemp, industrial hemp, is an agricultural crop. It is not a controlled substance. It's not a drug. So uh, I think that the fear of doing something that would be perceived to be anti-law enforcement or um, pro-drug has is not there in the in the Congress. Another difference is uh, the bill would always make it to the Judiciary Committee, and then it would never be heard or because of a lack of support. But when I got elected to Congress, coming straight off from being Commissioner of Agriculture in Kentucky and working with great people like Brian Furnish to, to uh, set the standard in Kentucky for industrial hemp, came to Congress, I came to Congress with some credibility with, with, with the fact that as Commissioner of Agriculture, we tested the uh, we tested the industrial hemp. We marketed the industrial hemp. Uh, we gave licenses for growers. We worked with universities to do research projects uh, for on industrial hemp, and it's been a huge success in Kentucky. So I sat down with Bob Goodlatte, who is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and we worked together on a compromise along with Jerry Paulus uh, and Thomas Massey, and we came together and filed this piece of legislation. So the the thing that stands out already in this bill and, and bills in the past is one of the main co-sponsors is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and that's a big deal. Yeah, I'll say that's a big deal. Um, that's a big change from the years prior. It's a big change because, again, uh, there was never enough support to get it through the House Judiciary Committee. The, Judici the Judiciary Committee is very conservative, uh, just very pro-law enforcement. If you had one law enforcement official have an objection, then the bill would, would essentially be dead. But uh, through the education process, through all the different industrial hemp groups, and through uh, programs like yours that have educated the public on this, we, we face uh, much, much better odds, uh, this this Congress in passing this legislation. Also, if you look at the Senate, you know, Congress, I think most people would agree, is dysfunctional right now, but this bill has bipartisan support. You mentioned we had 15 co-sponsors, but since we filed the bill, and I filed the bill on the last day before the August recess, we've had about 10 more members of Congress call wanting to be co-sponsors. So you're going to see that list. Uh, significantly increase. The grassroots will start kicking in. More and more congressmen will, will sign on. But in the Senate, uh, Senator McConnell is a, a big supporter of this. A lot of people are surprised when I say that. The Senator McConnell is very supportive. Rand Paul is very supportive. And then Ron Wyden is, is very supportive. So you have bipartisan support in the Senate. 
So I believe that uh, this bill will pass. I've met with Kevin McCarthy, who is the majority leader from California, Republican. Uh, he is uh, given the green light for this bill to, to move through the process. You have to have the majority leader on board if you're if a bill is going to become law. So a lot of the legwork's been done, and uh, now it's just up to uh, people that listen to your show that are pro hemp to call their congressmen and senators and and encourage them to support this bill. I will do that. I actually do do that quite a bit on this show, um, especially you know when there's when there's some uh, you know political pushback on the state or on the federal level with some of the legislation. Recently, we had an issue. The, the Arizona um, House really rarely comes together on anything. They're very divided along party lines, really. And the hemp bill here in the state of Arizona was passed with overwhelming support, I think 97% support for this bill. And once it landed on the governor's desk, he vetoed it, and I was completely shocked because for our house to come together on anything of that magnitude, it, it just seemed really surprising. And I started looking into it, and I could only come up with two explanations. One is uh, a lack of awareness and fear of what it would mean for the state of Arizona, or two, there's a significant lobby, or if there's a political reason behind it. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because when the hemp bills have failed to pass previously, I often wonder if it's, you know, related to uh, fear of the unknown or if it's just that it gets to the judicial committee and it makes for confusion because the plant subspecies look very much alike. And so is the law enforcement aspect of it, is there confusion on the DEA level, really? You know, would that be a reason why it never passed? Or would lobbyists... Uh, be getting in the way of this. What's your feeling on that? I'm very pro-law enforcement, except when it comes to hemp, because when we were pushing Senate Bill 50, and Brian Furnish was very involved in this as well, uh, we had Kentucky law enforcement come out adamantly opposed to it. And my theory was, and this was very controversial, my theory was that Kentucky gets a lot of marijuana eradication money, a lot of federal money funneled through some uh, quasi-government entities set up through drug task force groups. Yeah. And they they felt like this would somehow interfere. This would uh, interfere with their and, and, and diminish their marijuana eradication money, which, you know, why are we spending money... <laughs> Why are we spending money, uh, all this money on marijuana when we have prescription pain pills, meth, heroin, and all that? You know, we have a drug problem in Kentucky. It's not marijuana. But anyway, uh, <laughs> all of our drug efforts go for marijuana in Kentucky. So that was, to me, why we, we had so much resistance in Kentucky from law enforcement. Then I, I think those of you that have kept up with the hemp uh, ordeal we had in Kentucky, when we finally legalized it, we finally got seed shipped in, the DEA confiscated our seeds, and as Commissioner of Agriculture, I had the Kentucky Department of Agriculture sue the DEA to get our seeds back. We went to federal court, and uh, you never know what you're going to get in federal court, <laughs> but uh, the the judge knew all about hemp, and he scolded the DEA 
course, you couldn't allow cameras or anything in, in federal court at this time, but he scolded the DEA and asked the DEA, why, with this huge drug problem we're having in America, are you worried about confiscating the Kentucky Department of Agriculture's industrial hemp seeds that were, by the way, going to the University of Kentucky to be used for research purposes? And, um, you know, it's it's silly that we have, have had this prohibition for, for this long, uh, law enforcement's always been on the wrong side. DEA has always been on the wrong side of this issue. I support, I support, um, you know, trying to combat illegal drugs, but you know, to, to classify hemp in with heroin and, and everything else is just it, it's kind of embarrassing that our federal <laughs> yeah. government does that. So I believe our Congress, the majority of the members of Congress, see this now. So mm-hmm. I'm confident that we can pass this bill in the House and in the Senate. Now, I have no idea where the Trump administration stands on this issue, but I know that uh, if this is just a straight-up vote in Congress, that the votes are there in both the House and the Senate to pass this bill. Yeah, well, I I really um, root for it to pass, and, and it just seems as though there's no logical reason whatsoever that it shouldn't this time around. I mean, enough people know the truth about why hemp was made illegal in the first place that, you know, there's there's just no denying that it makes perfect sense, plus the advantage to the American farmer, which is Absolutely, huge. and that's always been the angle. I'm a farmer. Uh, my my whole life's been about agriculture. My degrees in agriculture. It was my first business I started was in agriculture, and then I was elected commissioner of agriculture in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And this is a win-win for for everyone in agriculture. For, for for farmers, it's another tool in the toolbox. Kentucky used to be a huge tobacco state. We still are the biggest tobacco state, uh, but but the tobacco industry's changed. Instead of every farmer growing a little tobacco, now there's just a few big farmers that, that grow tobacco. Uh, so we have to find alternative crops for, for our farmers. Hemp was perfect because it could be grown on marginal land. Uh, that's, in other words, not the. it doesn't have to be that uh, flat, fertile land like you see in Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa. It could be some hills and hollers in Kentucky. And it's, it's, um, it's sustainable. Yeah. For people that are worried about the environment, uh, you know, the less pesticides, less fertilizer, uh, the things that hemp would be made into can replace replace a lot of products we're currently using plastic or wood to make. So it's if you're into sustainability, and most young people are, it's it's a win, and it's economically viable. When when we worked with Congress to be able to commercialize, you know, the first step we did in Kentucky was to uh, set up regulatory framework for pilot projects to be used with universities. The next step was to allow commercialization to where companies like Brian Furnishes on, on the phone, where his could come in and start uh, commercializing help. What we've proven is it's very economically viable. And there are plenty of investors that want to come in and, and invest money to develop the infrastructure for hemp, but they're afraid now because hemp is still classified as a controlled substance. If this bill passes, I think you're going to see an influx of, of private sector money come in for hemp. I think you're going to see a lot of startups involved around hemp, and I think you're going to see a lot of family farmers that are able to stay on their farms because they've got a viable crop that they can grow and, and feed their family. So I, I'm real excited about the bill, and I hope that we can get it passed. 
Yeah, and and Brian, as a hemp farmer now in in Kentucky, um, how is business? It's good. You know, we're uh, this is our fifth crop this year. Uh, we started out kind of in a research phase. I was lucky to get associated with a company uh, called Ecofiber out of Australia. Uh, the guy had 18 years of experience in collecting uh, varieties from all over the world. And so we had somewhat of a head start here, and that's the reason I selected his company is because they knew something about the agriculture. They had good varieties. They knew the machinery. And so we're doing good. We've raised over a 1,000 acres of hemp here in Kentucky and harvested all of it except four acres, which is very good. Um, my company's invested over $10 million into Kentucky. Um, we're working with 10 family farmers around Kentucky to grow a crop for us. And we have hired 20 employees here in Kentucky to work for us. And we're starting to see sales branch out of our uh, a name to hemp product all over the United States. And so we see a very steep growth pattern for us. And uh, we're very uh, optimistic about what we're doing. Um, we're, we're looking at... Uh, all three phases of hemp production, we're doing fiber production, seed production for food, and we're doing um, medicinal-type production for uh, full-spectrum hemp products that we're selling. We don't just focus on CBD. We focus on, uh, right now, at least 10 cannabinoids are present in our product, and so that kind of sets us apart from some of the other competition. Yeah, I can imagine. And actually, I've um, I've seen your products, and I um using uh, one of your projects the it's a it's a cbd tincture um for my yes. father who has parkinson's and um other neurological issues and it's it's actually an amazing product and you know i was really grateful to have met uh eric who i believe is he the ceo or are you the ceo i can't remember. no eric's actually the ceo i'm, okay. I'm the president of our of our production division in Kentucky and then oversee global production. Eric's our CEO and he's in Australia and yeah, we, we feel really good about what we're doing. We've got a lot of research going on. We've uh, just, our new medical director just started. She's the first doctor of cannabinoid therapy in the United States and she's working for our company. And so um, we want to be responsible. You know, we want to help people not only help farmers, but help consumers and we want to study it. Um, one of our major investors in Australia started two Lambert centers for cannabis research, one in Australia for $36 million investment to Sydney University, and then another at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. And so, you know, we we're, uh, feel like we're doing the right things, and we want to put the science behind it and grow this crop and create an industry that's sustainable here in Kentucky and yeah, can I help our farmers stay on the farm. Yeah, that is just going to be such an amazing boon for the farmers to have hemp legalized everywhere. But And I want to ask both of you this question, but um, Brian, when you started working uh, with the congressman on getting this uh, piece of legislation created, how much input about the difference between regular tobacco farming and and the hemp farming, what were the real advantages to transitioning into hemp farming when you compare it to a regular cash crop like tobacco? Well, the good thing about here in Kentucky is we had the experience. We've got the proper soil types. We've got the proper rainfall. And the best thing about what we're doing here in Kentucky for the uh, full-spectrum hemp oil products is 
we have the infrastructure in place because a lot of the things we do, we just took straight from the tobacco production model, the transplant equipment, the greenhouses that start the plants, um, all the way down to the curing facilities that we use for tobacco. We use those to dry our hemp products naturally. Okay. So that kind of sets us apart from other people. We're able to let the natural environment grow the plant and without pesticides and insecticides and all those things and then put it in a natural curing environment here in Kentucky the same way we've done tobacco for many, many years. And it gives us a superior product because we're not cooking the product down really hot like most people do and cooking the acid forms out of the product. We're able to retain all of those based on the system we use here. And so we've got the labor force in place to do that. And uh, it's just a really good fit for right here in Kentucky. Yeah, I, and Kentucky was actually one of the biggest producers of hemp before the prohibition began, as well. Yeah, that was that's cor- that's correct. Most of that was used for rope and for fiber. Um, and we plan to bring the first true fiber hemp fiber mill to Kentucky in the next twelve months and have that operational. And we're really looking forward to that because that can really expand expand our acreage. Um, we'll probably our acreage of production in Kentucky will go up tenfold once we have that uh, production facility in place for fiber. Yeah, and and how did how did you and Congressman Comer meet one another? Yeah, basically, just growing up in agriculture here in Kentucky, he was a very young person in the state House of Representatives, and he was very aggressive on agriculture. And I was uh, an executive in the back industry, traveling all over the world, and. Anytime I needed help, I called on him to help me through issues here in Kentucky. And when hemp came up, I think I was one of the first persons he called to ask me to get involved. In the beginning, years ago, I did it as a friendship because I didn't think hemp was that um, viable here in Kentucky. But once I got to researching it, people got to calling me. We got to spending time on it. I got really excited about it really fast. Yeah, and... and um I mean, it, it was exciting for us on the outside, not being in Kentucky, but to watch uh, the transition and, and Kentucky embracing hemp regulation in such a positive way. I mean, it's very exciting for, yeah, I for all give, of us who advocate. I have, to give, I have to give all that credit to Congressman Comer, because when he was commissioner of agriculture, he put this on the forefront and made this his issue. And without that, we would never have gotten through this process as fast as we have, because I worked on legislation in Frankfurt and Washington for many years, and it, things just don't move as fast as what this bill and uh, this hemp issue made it through Kentucky and then onto the farm bill, the 2014 farm bill. It was uh, pretty rem- remarkable how fast we were able to make that happen. Yeah. Congressman Comer, I wanted to ask you, what was the very uh, first spark of interest in hemp for you? Well, i as a candidate for commissioner of agriculture, I was trying to drive it down the road thinking about ways to help farmers. And somebody had had a conversation with me a few weeks earlier about industrial hemp. And I knew what it was, but I didn't know that much about it. And I was spending the night in the hotel and I started, I had my laptop and just started doing research on it. Uh, as Brian mentioned, it was a native crop to Kentucky. Uh, we were the, Kentucky was the, leading industrial hemp producing state during uh, the war, uh, World War II, I guess it was. So I thought, you know, let's let's do this. Let's, let's take a stand on this industrial hemp. And it was a good issue for me. Uh, I was a, 
Republican. I was the only Republican that got elected that year. Agriculture is a statewide elected office, like governor, attorney general, treasurer, auditor, and all that. And it was uh, it wasn't a good year to be a Republican in 2011. But I I really believe that we, I got so much press talking about hemp because it was outside the box and no other state was doing it. And at that time, everybody that was for legalized industrial hemp was also for legalizing marijuana and there weren't any farmers advocating for it. So put together a coalition with people like Brian Furnish and uh, Senator Paul Hornback, who's a state senator in Kentucky, who's also a big tobacco farmer from Shelbyville. And we traveled the state, ran Paul, got on board and uh, was, uh, he had always been supportive of this because his father was Ron Paul, who was supportive of it in the house. So, People started coming out of the woodwork, and the hemp groups uh, uh, started forming and vote hemp. Dr. Bronner was very active in the in the campaign and educating people. So, what you have to do when you pass a bill is, uh, I'm trying to get the president to to do this. What you do is is you travel around and you advocate for the bill, you know, and you educate the public and you build support for it. Then you have it voted on uh, in the legislative body, and and uh, if the public's behind it. If the public's behind something, then they will force their legislators to vote for it. And that's what happened in Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, the governor at the time was against it, who's a Democrat. The president of the Senate was a Republican. He was against it. The Speaker of the House was a Democrat. He was against it. So I like to say we had bipartisan opposition to the bill, but the public was for it. And it was a grassroots movement. And I think we can do the same thing in, in Washington because the grassroots has been calling their congressman on hemp bills in the past. So the, the momentum's been building for a long time, and I feel like I'm getting to Congress at the right time uh, to be able to carry this bill. And, and people like Thomas Massey and Jerry Pollis are, are helping, and, and, of course, Bob Goodlett. So I believe that uh, we've, got the, we, we've got the manpower to, uh, to get it through. It's just a matter of um, trying to... Uh, get Congress functional enough to pass a piece of legislation. I think people will faint in Washington when they see it's actually a true bipartisan bill. There haven't been a lot of those since I've been there. Well, I think that this is actually one issue that is, there are so many benefits um, from environmental to economic to social, all across the spectrum to medical for legalizing hemp, that this is one issue that actually Absolutely. could bring a divided Congress together. And I've always believed that, and I, I hope that that's what happens, but I think you're right. I think that getting the public, getting constituents to you know, call the representatives and to advocate for this, but that takes education, which of course is why we're here, and, I mean, people thought we were nuts for going to radio with the subject of, of cannabis, and especially in states where they haven't embraced any regulation whatsoever, not even for medical use. But I think that it takes normalizing the conversation, getting people out of the green closet to talk about it, and especially those who pre previously had no knowledge that hemp wasn't a drug that could, you know, get children high. I really admire both of you, actually, for for really moving this forward in Kentucky in such a big way. <laughs> and I think the success in T Kentucky is really going to be instructive for the rest of the country. I, I hope so. It's been a real success story in Kentucky. Uh, we're, a, we're a poor state. 
uh, we're, you know, there are a lot of states that have a big agriculture base, but our agriculture is different. We don't have the large scale farms like you see out in the Midwest. So the average income for our average farmer is significantly lower in Kentucky than than a lot of the other big farm states. So this is a crop that that's more geared towards smaller farmers. Yeah. And those are the ones that are struggling, the smaller farmers. The big farmers are, are you know, year, it's been a tough year uh, for commodity prices, but year in and year out, big farmers have, have, have done very well over the last decade. The small smaller farmers have, have struggled a little bit. And this is the perfect crop for, for smaller farmers. But for this to succeed, we have to have companies like Brian Furnaces. We have to have the, the processors, the, the companies that, that take the hemp and process it, whether they're making uh, CBD oil, whether they're making fiber for, uh, for, for clothing or manufacturing or for the automotive industry, for hempreet, for the construction industry, whatever the end use is, we have to have those processors in the state and uh, in, in America. And I think that if we pass this legislation, there will be a flood of private sector money coming in because there's so many uh, so many hedge funds and investors now that want to be socially responsible, that want to be, they want to invest their, their money in, in sustainable industries. And this, there's no better sustainable industry to invest in, in agriculture than industrial hemp. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think what the beauty of it, like you said, it grows with very few pesticides, very little water. Mm-hmm. People who are advocates for environmental causes can really get behind this, and I, I think it'll transform the way that that brownfields are remediated because it, it's carbon negative plant, and right. it can actually clean up some of the mess that's made by GMOs and that sort of thing. So it, I'm excited about it, and in fact, you know, environmental issues were the reason I I started learning about it to begin with, but. It's very exciting to me. Yeah, it has a lot of lot of potential, and it's just there. It, it's amazing the industry's done as well as it has with the regulations that are in place. And when we created Senate, when we passed Senate Bill Fifty in Kentucky to set up a regulatory framework, we had to heavily regulate hemp because it was illegal prior to that. Well, now we've demonstrated in Kentucky and other states that. Uh, it's not a drug, you know. So the law enforcement were were testifying in committees in in the Senate in Frankfurt, our state capital, that people would be sneaking into hemp fields and cutting the plants down and getting high and then having a wreck on the way home. You know, just crazy, <laughs> stupid stuff that that we've proven hasn't happened. Uh, we we've tested the THC level, so we know which varieties uh, have you know, very low THC or no THC. So so we've got that down. We've proven it's economically viable. The universities love it. We have two universities in Kentucky, the University of Kentucky and Murray State University, which is in my congressional district in western Kentucky, that are doing a ton of work with research and development for hemp. And they're getting uh, private dollars coming in. They're getting grant dollars coming in to do research. They're they're attracting students to those universities that are like yourself that are uh, very interested and passionate about industrial hemp so it's just been a it's been a huge win in kentucky and and that's the story that i'm trying to tell in congress that we can we can make this a huge win for america and this is something that 
we need to focus on this is a year uh, next year we'll be voting on a on a farm bill which just happens every four or five years and to me what we need to focus on in 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 the farm bill and agriculture is help for smaller farmers because the big farmers always do well it's just like the big companies always do well in tax reform but it's the it's the small businesses and the uh, working class people that usually get left out in congress we need to focus on small farmers and and this bill to me uh, will 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 really be an asset for a lot of small farmers in america and, and i just i hope that we can uh, lead a movement to encourage Congress to get to work and, and get this bill passed. Yeah, and, and the economic upside uh, for the entire country is, is huge as well. I would think, you know, with the tax dollars that can come Absolutely. in from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and right now, a lot of the farmers are watching these imports come into a billion-dollar industry in this country, and, it, you know, it, I, I'm sure that so many in all of the farming states are just wondering, okay, when are we going to be able to enjoy this? Absolutely. It, it, it should have been done 20 years ago. It should have never been, there it, should never have yeah, been a prohibition to begin say, with, yeah. but it should have been lifted 20 years ago. So Yeah, it, yeah. Better, or never, or never classified now, alongside yeah. heroin or, or LSD Absolutely. to begin with. And, you know, what did you think? You must have been uh, scratching your head when the DEA sent out the register at the end of last year saying that they were... Um, adding a separate numerical class for CBD uh, under yeah. the controlled substances. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, there's no reason for, for hemp or CBD to be treated the way that uh, they've been treated by the DEA. I mean, the DEA has plenty of work to do. Yeah. I, can, I can assure you. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in a, a, a part of the world that's just uh, been devastated by illegal drugs. Yeah. But for all this focus on marijuana and hemp makes no sense to me. It's very frustrating as a member of Congress that that the DEA gets any funding if they're going to spend time and money and valuable resources picking on uh, industrial hemp and, and CBD. It really, really makes me mad. It yeah. really makes me want to do something about the DEA. But, uh, well, it was you know, interesting. Uh, the, during the last administration and the omnibus budget, I think it was in 2015, if I'm not mistaken, they actually eliminated the funding to go after uh, hemp and CBD producers, or, you know, yes, hemp, hemp producers right. in general, and actually in marijuana in legalized states as well. And... And just a couple of months ago, the current administration decided to reverse that measure. And I thought, that is so strange. Why? You know, I would think that they'd be pro-business in that way and, and just leave it alone. But it was very confusing yeah, to me. I, I'm trying to get a meeting with the Trump administration to talk to them about that. I, I don't know if it's uh, Attorney General Sessions or Trump or, or what, but uh, I applaud the Trump administration's efforts to uh, improve the regulatory environment. But I believe they've they've made a mistake with with that one, and and I'm going to sit down and and try to educate them because I am I am pretty confident that they don't know the difference between industrial hemp and marijuana. So yeah, those are people that that are going to have to be uh, sat down with. Now I have talked to the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue who was from Georgia, former uh, governor of Georgia. He did not know initially 
the difference. He did not know hardly anything about industrial hemp. Mm-hmm. And when when mentioned hemp, he thought I was you know just talking about marijuana and all that. But I have spoken with him. Senator McConnell has spoken with him. Senator Paul has spoken with him. So the last time I talked to Senator Purdue, I think he's come a long way on with respect to hemp. I don't think he has a problem with hemp. But obviously the 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 ones in the Trump administration that that we have to make sure aren't opposed to this bill would be the president, of course, and and uh, attorney the attorney general. So uh, these are meetings I'm trying to to uh, get set up, and hopefully we can uh, make sure that that they understand the benefits of this and why we're doing this this bill and why it's needed. Yeah, well, I I would really love to hear the outcome of that. I'm sorry, go ahead, Brian. Just recently, the USDA under the new administration after the meetings with Congressman Comer has let us know that they're open for business, that that hemp companies and growers can apply for grants. And so that's a positive change that just happened recently. Wow. Yeah, you know what? I wasn't aware of that. I'll look it up immediately. Yeah, I mean that that would be great. But I I think that educating um, Attorney General Sessions is going to be a little bit more difficult than educating the president on it. I mean, in the past, um, President Trump has actually uh, advocated for medical marijuana anyway, and it seems as though prior to the election he was a little bit more friendly toward the movement than he has been lately. And I don't know if that's because of, of Attorney General Sessions' disdain for the topic or not, but it would be, I'm, I'm sure that educating anyone in the Trump administration about it could be beneficial to the cause. So uh, kudos. And I, I look forward to hearing the outcome of that as well. Well, I will definitely let you know and, uh, as Brian said, uh, the Secretary Agriculture Secretary Purdue has uh, has come has come around, and he is uh, I'm confident going to be very supportive of of farmers growing industrial hemp. You know, with the with the CBD, I, I think we have some pharmaceutical companies and probably some lobbyists that are m- m- making the water a little murky. Yeah, with that we have uh, a big so one here. That's a whole who's different doing deal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's that's it's a whole very... different deal when you start talking about <laughs> CBD, right, right? Yeah, but you know the other thing too, Congressman, that um, concerns me a little bit. You know, making hemp legal on a federal level. What scares me is is putting it in the hands of big agriculture farming that might because it doesn't need all of those chemicals. It doesn't need any genetic engineering mm-hmm. in this other side from just, you know, breeding certain strains for medicine or, or mm-hmm. stronger industrial material. It doesn't need a lot of the things that are dependent upon the fossil fuels, which I think that if it's, if it gets into the wrong hands, it's entirely possible that it could, it could uh, contaminate the, more organic uh, substance that's grown now mm-hmm. um, under state regulation. What are your thoughts about that? I, I don't. I don't think so. I haven't seen a, a interest among big agriculture. Brian knows a lot more about this than I do. I haven't seen a, the interest from the big agriculture companies uh, with respect to hemp. Everyone that uh, that I know of that's excited about hemp and investing in hemp or smaller companies like what, what Brian Furnish is a part of, but the, um, and the ones in Kentucky are all, you know, the 
true definition of, of small businesses. The only part of the hemp industry that I think that could be the case would be with the CBD and the, and the pharmaceutical companies. You know, we're having a terrible time in Washington trying to fix healthcare. Whether you support Obamacare or whether you're opposed to Obamacare, uh, I think we would have to agree there are a lot of problems with healthcare oh, yes. right now that, that need to be fixed. And you've got a lot of the pharmaceutical companies and health insurance companies that are making it very hard to get anything done on either side yeah. with, with healthcare. And and I that would be the only part, but Brian may have a different perspective of that than I, than I do. He knows more about the industry. What do you think, Brian? I think for the near future, it's going to stay in the hands of the small uh, family farm operations and the smaller businesses. You know, down the road, looking 15 or 20 years, you don't ever know. But the thing that I love about this plant is, and one thing our company does very well is grow it in its natural environment. You know, right. a lot of the other growers, the marijuana people, they do greenhouse production and clones. And, you know, it's not a natural environment for a plant. So you've got a lot of issues there. And so, you know, it's hemp drives outside, and that's the way we grow it. And it does very well. And um, once you get it established and out of the ground, it pretty much takes care of itself. And that's the good yeah. thing about it. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting, too, that when you mentioned the drugs, there have been a number of synthetic marijuana drugs that have been approved through the FDA, and they're basically one molecule uh, tag off of regular old THC, but they've caused a lot of problems. I mean, they have side effects because they're synthetic, whereas um, there are very few side effects of a natural plant. So, I mean, that, that could be a concern. And are there any protections from adulterating natural hemp products in the hemp bill? There, there are not. Um, and I don't know that much about the marijuana. I, I've stu- I don't have a problem with that. I've just, all my studies been around industrial hemp. Mm-hmm. And with, with I, I'm like Brian, I don't think there's any fear of any Monsanto or any big agriculture company coming in and, and uh, really changing the, the industry. Uh, I, I think right now the industry is safe from, uh, from the, the gigantic agriculture firms. I think it's going to be a uh, more of a startup environment, mm-hmm. more of a small business environment. The small farmers growing it, not your big, large, uh, twenty to seventy-five thousand acre farmers. I think it's going to be a lot of uh, small farmers growing it, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, that's the way it'll it will be for uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, well, I think it'll create some amazing opportunity in the land of opportunity, for sure. So, um, yeah, it, any last thoughts? Um, because I know that we've got about uh, five more minutes before we need to start wrapping up here. Um, any other thoughts, uh, something you'd like for the general public to know? Um, off the top of your head, Brian, let's start with you. Well, I think everybody just needs to try to educate themselves on this, and it, we are definitely focused on hemp here in Kentucky. And as a company, you know, we a lot of people thought that from law enforcement and other political figures that we were trying to get our nose under the tent so we could start growing marijuana in the future, and that's not our that's not the case at all. Um, 
we want to grow a natural plant that's good in the natural environments here in Kentucky and the United States. And people need to educate themselves on that and get involved. And for your listeners to, you know, reach out to the members of Congress in Washington and tell them to support uh, Congressman Comer's bill and uh, get this thing passed. Uh, we had a huge groundswell of support here in Kentucky, and I think that it was the, one of the top um, called in support of the bill in the Frankfurt in the history of the legislature when it got started in Kentucky. And I, I think we can do the same thing in Washington, um, but we need to, you know, keep ourselves separate from hemp. I mean, our goal is that you would have recreational marijuana and medical hemp in the future because we think we can do everything with hemp except get you high. Yeah. Thank you and, for having me, and I'd like to continue this dialogue and invite you out to our farm and show you what we do. Oh, I would be so delighted to see it and to learn more about what you're doing. And I know we will follow up again because um, John Ryan, also from Ananda Hemp, uh, was going to join us today, but I believe he is out of the country right at the moment. And so I'd like to follow up with him on the line as well as um, Eric uh, and, and just get uh, more into the medicines that you're producing and, and, and the actual methods of producing hemp and that sort of thing. So, yeah, thank you so much. And um, Congressman Comer, uh, any last thoughts, uh, anything you have a burning desire to let people know about uh, today's topic? I do. If if there are people out there that are, are involved in the industry or want to be involved in the industry, uh, if you have questions about the bill or if you have problems with the bill, don't hesitate to contact me. Uh, you can Google me, James Comer. We have a website just like every other congressman. I read all of my messages and all of my calls and emails and uh, feel free to say, you know, if, if you have a technical question about the bill or if you have a suggestion and, and remember that uh, when, when we're putting the bill together, we're getting a lot of different people on board, and it's it's very hard, as we've seen with the health care bill and with tax reform in, in Washington. It's hard to get a majority of 435 people to agree on anything, and, and what has <laughs> yeah. to happen is you have to have a consensus and concessions and things like that. So there are a few things I would like the bill to be a little different on, but you know th- this is what we've got. I think it's I think it's a it's a huge step in the right direction. But if there's if there's uh, if there are questions from your listeners or if there are concerns, please don't hesitate to give me a call. The Senate is probably going to file a companion bill. It it will probably be a little different. Uh, they feel free to call uh, you know Senator McConnell, Senator Paul, Senator Wyden in Oregon. You know, whoever their senator is, uh, feel free to call them as they're trying to put together language on a bill. But uh, I think we can come together and get 99% of what we need as an industry to move forward uh, past in this legislation. So that was that was something I wanted to mention to your to your listeners. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And um, we will we will definitely put information about you and how to contact you up on our website when we post the episode. And um, yeah, and thank you so much for all of that. And I know that the industry is moving right along, and I really hope you're successful in getting this 
piece of legislation passed. It is so important, I think, to our future. It's an incredible legacy that we can leave for future generations. So I thank you for taking the lead on that and really support what you're doing with it. And I'm eager to find out how it goes when you do get the ear of the Trump administration to see if maybe you can change some hearts and minds there as well. So thank you. Well, thank you for your interest and passion and all the education that you do uh, with respect to hemp. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, I'm really grateful to both of you for being on today. And um, I look forward to speaking again sometime in the near future. So thanks again. Well, well, come on to Washington sometime and we will uh, we'll Uh, do another interview and go into more detail on uh, what's going on up there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Okay. So I'm getting the heads up from our producer, Rob, today, who is letting me know that it's time for us to close this show. So once again, thank you to my guests, Brian Furnish and Congressman James Comer for sharing their insights and knowledge with us today. If you want to learn more about the Kentucky hemp industry or the Hemp Farming Act, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com and click broadcast to find today's episode. I will post their biographies and a link to the websites. Um, If you'd like to see reform on hemp legalization or the industry, the cannabis industry at large, we encourage you to get involved. Contact your representatives and senators to let them know how you feel and to ask whatever questions you have about it, because this is one thing that we can do for future generations together. We have a lot of folks to thank here at The Cannabis Reporter. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Hemp Meds and Health Terra. We sincerely could not be doing this without you, so thank you so much. I'd also like to thank Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute update. He'll be back again next week with another edition of the Medical Marijuana Minute. Thanks to our program director, Steve, at XRQK Networks. Eric Goodall for our theme song, Evergreen, and Compassionate Certification Centers for sharing our news. And of course, it goes without saying how much we appreciate our producer Rob and the team here at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine. Last but not least, thank you to all of you for listening. Tune in again next week, same time, same place for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and until we meet again, stay safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Evergreen is calling, evergreen is always where I Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit hempmeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. 
you're busy. Running around from work to kids to evening events, healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra for only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids, by the way. You can eliminate doctor office visits with 24-7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com.